crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Brent Nuktagal, your host. I'm coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel. Thanks very much for all the feedback that came in regarding last week's program on Goliath's home city of Gath being discovered. Finally, after two decades of excavation, it's quite amazing to think about all the the Davidic era sites that are being uncovered right now. In Israel, over the past, just this past season, we've had two that have been added to the list of cities that David uh, visited, that David ruled over for a time as well. And it is really interesting, the timing of them. I mean, just taking this example of Gath, I mentioned it or alluded to it last week. But they've been excavating Gath, excavating Gath for decades, for decades, and they've been spending most of their time on this city from around King Rehoboam's time onwards for about 100 years there, so from 920, 910, something like that, to the mid-9th century, 850s or so. That's what they've explored, and it was a large city, a very large city, a city obviously that belonged to the Philistines. At this time, it was probably uh, captained or, or at least looked over by, by Israel, and then finally, in the second last or third last season, they excavate underneath this structure, a terrace from this, from this time period, and they find an even bigger city underneath it after 20 seasons of excavation. And what's interesting is we're right in the thick of this debate about King David and King Solomon and their kingdom and whether they existed and how big they were. And evidence is just being provided, evidence that wasn't there 15 years ago. There wasn't much at all. And because of that, there has been this conspiracy against David's historicity that has arisen from academics all over the world and here in Israel. And as time has gone on, just more and more evidence proving David and Solomon's existence is coming to light. And again, we're making this book on David and uh, Solomon, the archaeological evidence for that kingdom. And we'll That'll be free for you uh, whenever it comes out, probably in, in six months or so, probably by the time it gets the printer and back. And so we'd be happy to send you a copy of that when it comes out. To make sure that you get a hold of that book, I suggest that you do sign up for our new Watch Jerusalem magazine. The first ed- edition of that magazine is due to go to press in September, the start of September. And uh, you can uh, sign up for that wherever you are in the world. It's free. Just go to watchjerusalem.co.l dot il uh, slash literature or slash magazine and sign up for that and we'll send that to you again wherever you are in the world absolutely free and then we'll obviously keep you abreast and apprised of when this book comes out on king david i want to put archaeology aside uh for today's program just because there's some really important uh, news that's being overlooked from iraq it's really significant, extremely significant, and it's being overlooked because of more important things, it seems, taking place in the Strait of Hormuz and the Persian Gulf. But really, what's happening in mainland Iraq, in the territory or the nation of Iraq right now, over the past month, let's say, it absolutely proves, without a shadow of a doubt, that Iran's empire has grown 
that Iran is in control of Iraq, whether the government in Baghdad likes it or not. And this is extremely significant in terms of biblical prophecy. This is something we've said was going to happen for 30 years, that Iraq was going to fall to Iran. And we have seen it, and we've got literal proof that Iran is dictating what takes place in, inside Iraq, uh, even because of what, uh, and as proven by what Israel has been doing, as we'll cover. But first, I want to talk about the Strait of Hormuz and what Iran is doing there, because even though I'm saying that Iraq is more important, what's taking place in Iraq is more important, they, Iran is up to its usual exploits today. This is going to, oh, I'm recording this, uh, Sunday afternoon, Jerusalem time. This goes on the air in, in Central Time in the United States. This program at 10 a.m., and so I've only got about an hour before that takes place. Um, but I just did want to leave the recording to the end of the day just because earlier on in the day it was reported that Iran has seized another oil tanker. Another oil tanker. It doesn't look like this one is British. Uh, it looks like it's possibly belonging to uh, some rival Arab, sta- Arab states. Uh, the, the, the Persian or the uh, Iranian press is the is who has reported this so we'll take it with a grain of salt for now but reuters has a story about it and this is from today iran seizes foreign oil tanker smuggling fuel in gulf that is what the state media of iran says quote iranian revolutionary guards they are a foreign terrorist organization designated by the united states seized a foreign oil tanker in the gulf that was smuggling fuel and detained seven crewmen iran's state media reported on sunday in a show of power amid heightened tensions with the west it is interesting to me when you think about these massive tankers and um, that you've got seven crew <laughs> that is able, that's just a side point, that is able to control this massive vessel. Anyhow, Iran has taken uh, seven of those crew, detained them, and has seized this oil tanker. The vessel was intercepted near Iran's Farsi island in the Gulf, Iran's semi-official Fast News Agency said. The elite Revolutionary Guard Corps, IRGC, has a Navy base on Farsi island, which is located north of the Strait of Hormuz. Quoting now, uh, Fars said this, The IGC's naval forces have seized a foreign oil tanker in the Persian Gulf that was smuggling fuel for some Arab countries. It was carrying 7,000 litres of fuel, as he said, without elaborating on the nationalities of the detained crewmen, or on which country or company owned by the ship. And so this is interesting. It's another ship that's been taken right now. They have a couple that they have seized. One of them is the British uh, Stina, I believe it is, uh, oil tanker. They still have that. Obviously, Britain has the the, the uh, Iranian tanker as well, still off the Straits of Gibraltar. And so this is something that's concerning. This is something that we should watch for sure. Iran's actions in the Persian Gulf, the Strait of Hormuz, the Bab el-Mandab, the Red Sea, all these narrow gateways, these narrow water pas- passageways are going to be part of Iran's prophesied push against Europe, control of these choke points. And so we are going to see this uh, situation not go away um, for the time being. It's, it's going to be there. It's probably going to get worse and worse. Now, what is interesting is that the United States right now is putting together this coalition to try and guarantee the safe passage of these vessels or vessels out of the Strait of Hormuz, around the Gulf of Aden there and into the Red Sea, past the Bab el-Mandab off the coast of Yemen and, and uh, Djibouti. And they, the United States wants to ensure that um, all this, this oil and other hydrocarbons and, and other uh, gas can get out to the ocean, get out to, to market. Britain has send, sent a destroyer down there. 
replacing the HMAS Montrose for the time being, and there's another uh, frigate on its way. But you have Europe, the European nations that have decided that they're going to go it alone or at least not jump in with the United States just yet. I find what's interesting about all of this is that Bible prophecy indicates that the United States is not going to be the one eventually that's going to be policing or trying, to, or at least is 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 there present in the Strait of Hormuz, in the Persian Gulf, being the dominant player. That's probably going to be Europe because of what Iran does. Of course, the United States really is there guaranteeing international trade, international oil flows, uh, and probably ensuring that the Iran doesn't put a stop to all Saudi's oil coming out of there. But you know, the United States isn't affected too much by it right now. I mean, they have almost oil uh, independency because of so much oil being pumped into the uh, pumped domestically in the United States. But they're there really to ensure that the rest of the world can get access to that oil and it can get to market again. 20% of all the world's oil comes through that strait. And so it's important it gets to market. But if you look at the oil price, if you look, I haven't checked today uh, after this next seizure, but if you look at the oil price, it's pretty low. It's actually quite low. And um, the oil price, even after the, Gulf, the, the British tanker was, was pulled aside by the Iranians, because they said they were going to do it and they ended up doing it, the oil price rose a couple bucks per barrel and then it floated back down a little bit. And what this tells me right now is, People believe that the United States is strong. The oil price is going to stay where it is for a while, while they believe that the United States will act if it has to. And so Iran can talk about what it wants to do, and it can even, it can even nab a couple, of a, couple, uh, a couple of these tankers. And yet there's so much oil on the market right now, and the fact the United States is there uh, to, to make sure that there is no full blockage there that the oil markets basically agree that there is going to be a temporary respite, or at least this isn't going to get out of hand just yet. It shows that we are seeing this resurgence in the United States right now under President Trump, and even it looks like the Brits are coming on board with that, just striking up this special relationship that's been there for centuries. And so it seems that the world markets believe that the United States is strong enough to ensure that Iran doesn't put a full blockage on the oil out of the Strait of Hormuz. Nevertheless, this is something to watch because the focus in the, on these choke points is important, again, because the prophecy over there in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, and we'll talk about that briefly at the end, 11 verse 40 to 44, it talks about several nations that are going to be allied with this end of times king of the south, this king of the south, which, which, which we have called radical Islam, as led by Iran as the king of radical Islam, they are going to control eventually Strait of Hormuz, the Babel Mandab, the Red Sea Passageway, and even the Suez Canal. And that is really going to upset Europe eventually and is going to motivate them to finally act against the Iranian regime. And so this is something that we need to watch. However, I do want to talk about what has happened in Iraq. Iraq, it's extremely important. Remember, Iraq and Iran are enemies. They have been for such a long time and going back to the 80s into the 90s and until Saddam Hussein was removed by the United States these these nations were at each other's throats we said back then at the time that Iraq was eventually going to fall to Iran regardless of what it looked like the political scene of what it looked like in 1991 1992 1993 we said that Iran was eventually going to get in a hold of Iraq and that has happened 
And I'm going to show you some proof of that when we come back. We'll take a short break. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We're going to talk about now what's taking place in Iraq and showing that Iran has taken hold of that nation regardless of what the government in Baghdad says. Now, there's been some action over the past month involving Israeli jets, or at least it looks like Israeli jets, taking out Iranian-backed Shiite militia missile depots in Iraq, just north of Baghdad. This is absolutely incredible, especially when you talk about when you think about how underreported this is and how much the Iraqi government has said nothing about it. You've had foreign jets taking out huge warehouses, killing scores of people, and you won't hear much about it from the Iraqi press because they're ashamed. The Iraqi government in Baghdad is ashamed that Israel is having to act against Iranian interests inside Iraq, because the Iraqi government has no control over the Iranian militias, the Iranian-backed militias that operate out of Iraq. And this is what we've talked about for such a long time. I'm going to quote from Jonathan Spire, one of the best commentators in the, from the Middle East involving Syria, Iran, and Iraq. He wrote from the Wall Street Journal, this is from August 1st, the article's entitled Israeli Jets Appear to Have Struck Iraq for the First Time Since 1981, and I am going to leave this as a link. You need to read this article. It's very powerful. We have an article up on Watch Jerusalem right now, but written by Warren Reich about these preemptive strikes from Israel. You should read that as well. This Wall Street Journal uh, article goes into a little bit more um, of the details. That's why I'm going to quote from this one. Again, August 1st, Jonathan Spire says this, Two airstrikes on Shiite militia targets took place in Iraq last month. No country or organization has taken responsibility, but there are strong reasons to think that they were carried out by Israel. And if so, these would be the Jewish state's first air raids on Iraq since the destruction of Saddam Hussein's Osiric nuclear reactor in 1981. Okay, okay, so this is is not a normal happening. Israel does not normally do this. Israel has said that they will act if they have to against nuclear facilities, be that in Iran, Iraq, or Syria, and they have done in historically in 2007 in Syria and 1981 in Iraq. And we have seen Israel take out almost a thousand different targets inside Syria over the past five years or so against Iranian-backed militias inside Syria that have weapons that Israel deems are red lines. We're not going to allow, they say, Iran to Iran's proxies to have these missile, the missile capability inside Syria. And so Israel strikes at them, but they've never done it in Iraq until now, or at least in, in terms of the past, you know, 30 years, 40 years almost. But now they have. Why? Why? What changed? What changed for Israel to act in this way? Continuing this article, the first of the raids on July 19 targeted a militia base near the town of Amerli in Salah al-Din province, north of Baghdad. The second three days later struck, struck Camp Ashraf, a former U.S. military base, which I just find funny, in Iraq 
In Iraq's Dahlia province, both the Ashraf and Amirli bases are now controlled by the Badr organization, a Shiite militia come political party in apparent cooperation with Iran. According to Arabic media reports, the second raid was considerably larger dimension than the first. It says that there's about 40 people, 40 Iranian Revolutionary Guard personnel and Iraqi Shiite militiamen were killed. That's substantial. Why aren't we hearing more about this? It says this. The Saudi uh, Shark Aswat's newspaper last week attributed the attacks to Israel. Officials in Jerusalem have remained silent, but their country is the only serious candidate. The only other main enemies of the Shiite militias in Iraq are the Islamic State and the United States since coalition. The former, that is the Islamic State, lacks, lacks the capacity to mount air raids. The latter engaged in high-stakes diplomacy intended to force Iranian climb down on the nuclear issue while avoiding a further de deterioration of the relationship. Open conflict is the last thing the United States and its allies want right now. That leaves Israel. And so, here we are. Here we are. Israel is acting against Iranian interests in Iraq for the first time. According to security force, uh, U.S. security sources quoted at the journal, in June 2018, Israel bombed a facility that housed members of Khatib Hezbollah and the Iranian Revolutionary Guard inside Syria. So, they have acted against these Shiite militias before inside Syria, but not in Iraq. And that raid back then in July 18th, 2018, was to prevent the Iranian weapons transfers. Then it says this, and this is what's important. Yet hitting the Iranians in lawless Syria is one thing, in line with the general contours of Israeli activity and defense strategy in recent years. An Israeli attack in Iraq is another constituting a significant expansion of the military theater. That is what we've seen. The Israel-Iran war that's been raging now for, oh, I don't even know, almost two decades. You've got the Lebanese, Lebanon wars. You've got the different wars in, against Hamas. You've got the ongoing war taking place in Syria, Syrian civil war, which Iran is trying to use as as uh, a location to set up its base to fight against Israel. You've got Iranians, the IRGC, firing missiles at Israel, forcing the Iron Dome to go off, those that were the targeting of the Golan Heights. You've got Iranian drones that were flying into Israel that need to be taken out by Israelis. This is a war, skirmish, I guess you could call it. But the theater just expanded to include another nation. But how did Iran... Well, why is Israel targeting Iraq if Iran hasn't taken over to a certain extent? The Israeli security establishment has been widely worried in recent months by growing evidence that Iran is using the Shiite militia infrastructure in Iraq as a pipeline for weapons transfers to Hezbollah, which menaces Israel from the north and from the north in Lebanon, and as a holding point for ballistic missiles that can hit Israel all the way from western Iraq. So you see what's going on here. Is Iran doesn't need to send its missiles now all the way to Syria and then fire them at Israel. They can reach Israel from western Iraq. And so that's what they're doing. They've got a lot of these missiles um, there and launches, and they belong to the Iranian Quds Force, which is basically their terrorist wing outside that operates outside Iran. 
and that is in charge, Qasem Soleimani. We've given programs about him. He is the head of the Quds Force, which oversees all the workings now of Hamas, of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, of Hezbollah in Lebanon, and all these Shiite militias. They answer to one man, Qasem Soleimani, who answers to another man, the Ayatollah in Iran. Some details of Israel's concerns have been made public, Jonathan Spire says, in August 2018. Reuters reported the transfer of Zelzal Fatawanten and Zalfakha Iranian missiles and launches from Iran's Quds Force to Shiite proxies in western Iraq. And these, these have a range of 750 kilometers. And the distance from Al Qaim, which is on the Syrian border, to Tel Aviv is only 632. And so here we have, here we have um, Iran being able to reach Israel from Iraq. Now we know that there were weapons, um, that there were these missiles being stored inside these camps that were attacked by Israel. And this is like 50 kilometers north of Baghdad. This isn't like attacking somewhere on the Syrian-Iraqi border. Israel went all the way into Baghdad's backyard and bombed it. And you don't hear a peep from the prime minister about it. Because again, he's sad at what has gone on, I'm pretty sure. He's sad the fact that he has no power publicly. Israel's spokesman attributed Iran's increasing employment of Iraqi Shiite militias for these tasks as evidence of success of Israel's acknowledged or air war on Iran's infrastructure in Syria. So basically, Jonathan Spire is saying that the Israelis have come out and said, hey, this is great. I mean, the fact that, that we find all these missiles in, in, in Iraq now proves that we're getting them out of Syria. That's what they're saying publicly. This is what Spire goes on to write. According to this logic, the proven vulnerability of Tehran's facilities in Syria has led the Iranian rev re uh, the Revolutionary Guards to place hardware further afield. But, the force and accuracy of the Israeli raids in Syria notwithstanding, Iran's possession of a mobilized, Tehran-dependent military infrastructure in Iraq is equal evidence of an Iranian success. Don't think that this is success, Israel. <laughs> it's not. Yes, I would say Israel's done a really good job of, of attacking these the terrorist infrastructure, missile infrastructure inside Syria. But Iran has quickly, in that time, in a, during the course of the Syrian civil war and the fight against Islamic State, taken over Iraq. Quote, The largest and most powerful of Iran's proxy military organizations in Iraq is the Badr Organization. So this is one of those Shiite militias. They're thought to have about 50,000 fighters. It held the interior and transport ministries in the last Iraqi government. It's an integral part of the Iraqi political and military establishments. And they also controlled these two sites that were hit, the Badr organization. And so you've got a force of 50,000 strong that's part of this, the, Irani, the Iraqi government, that's part of the Iraqi military establishment now, but they answer, to, they answer to Iran, and they were what's being hit. Obviously, Israel sees what's going on, for sure. And Israel is worried about what's going on, to the point they're going to do something they haven't done in 40 years. They're going to strike Iraq. Because we are seeing the um, Lebanonization, as they call it, of Iraq, where a identity that has its loyalties to Iran gradually takes over a state from the inside. Hezbollah did it in Lebanon. 
and now the Shiite militias are doing it in Iraq. He continued, he finishes his article this way, Jonathan Spire. He said, in the coming weeks, the militias are set to be incorporated officially into the Iraqi armed forces, in line with a recent decree of, by Prime Minister Abdul Abdul Mahdi. But these fighters are unlikely to abandon the Iranian patrons' regional strategy and settle for a future as Mr. Abadi's soldiers. Rather, the Iraqi state looks set to offer them a handy coffer for their activities as Tehran's proxies. The implications of continued Israeli action against the militias will become graver as the groups gain official status. Get that. The temperature is in the already overheated cauldron in the Middle East has risen by several degrees. Okay, so I want to go to another article now that talks about what has happened in Iraq with these groups. Because there's no way right now to reduce the power of these Iranian-backed Shiite fighters in Iraq. They've tried. The Iraqi government has tried, but it is literally powerless to stop Iran's takeover. And so there will be another battlefield in the Middle East. It'll be Iraq again, and you'll have Iran dictating terms in Iraq and Israel, at least for the time being, it seems, trying to fight against it. This is from uh, foreignpolicy.com, John Hanna, Freedom Foundation for Defense of Democracies. And this was written July 31st. And it is entitled, Iran-backed militias are in Iraq to stay. I'm sorry I'm quoting, but this is just really well put together, uh, this article. And what it, this article is going on to show, it's going on to show how the PMF, which is the Popular Mobilization Forces, these are forces that were raised that were militia, that were extra to the Baghdadi government, okay? And they had to be. Uh, we're fighting against the Islamic State. So you you remember 2014, 2015, the Islamic State was taking over this border area between Syria and Iraq. And the main fighting force in Iraq against them, at least for the beginning, was the Iraqi security forces. The Iraqi security forces were those forces that were set up, trained, equipped by the United States military. And so you couldn't have these pro-Iranian Shiite forces as part of that. They weren't a part of the military establishment. But that military cut and run in so many cases against the Islamic State. So to prevent Baghdad from being overrun by the Islamic State, you had Sistani, the, the head of the Shiites inside Iraq, he may issued a fatwa, a religious decree, that allowed these militias to take arms, to fight against the Islamic State, to push it back. And so you had a virtual alliance here. And not all of the PMF is Iranian-aligned, but most of it is. Most of them are Shiites as well. And you, so you basically had two fighting forces, well, really three, including the Kurds in the north, but we won't talk about them. You had two fighting forces. You had the Iraqi government forces, military, that was backed by the United States. And this, you also had the Shiite militias that were fighting the ground war against uh, the Islamic State. And so you had a virtual alliance for a time between Iranian-backed forces and the United States. And we said at the time, this is going to be bad news, bad news because... As soon as the Islamic State is destroyed, these forces, the 100,000 forces that make up the PMF are not going to be disbanded. And if they attempt to be disbanded, disbanded, they are going to fight. They are going to not lay down their arms. If they, if the only way that they would do that is if they got accepted fully into the Iraqi government. And they are getting fully accepted fully into the Iraqi government, but they're not laying down their weapons. 
This is this article now. Iranian-backed militias are here to stay. On July 1st, Iraqi Prime Minister Adel Abdelmadi issued a decree directing that militias known as the PMF take a series of steps to subjugate themselves to the Iraqi state. According to the order, those groups failing to comply by July 31st, last week, will be treated as outlaws. (laughs) This article is written on July 31st. Then he next he writes, don't hold your breath. The odds are high that the deadline will come and go with no meaningful curtailment of the power of the PMF, at least not those Shiite elements allied with Iran, its Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, and Qassam Soleimani, the commander of the Quds Force, the IRGC's deadly expeditionary arm. Iran's proxies in Iraq may pretend to comply with the decree. The Iraqi government may pretend to enforce it, but U.S. officials should be under no illusions. Rather than enhancing the government's control over the PMF, the order is more likely to have the opposite effect, further entrenching Iran's chokehold in the Iraqi state. I very much hope I'm wrong. That's what he writes. This man was, uh, he was a senior official in, in George Bush's administration, strongly backed the idea to remove Saddam Hussein from, pa- from power. He writes, I know Mahdi well. I know the prime minister well. I consider him to be a friend and a strong proponent of the U.S.-Iraqi relationship. During my time in government, we spent many hours arguing about developments in Iraq, and his assessments generally proved more right than wrong. I very much want to believe that that would be the case now with respect to efforts to rein in the PMF, but I fear that it won't be. The bottom line is that Mahdi is too weak, that's the Prime Minister of Iraq, and Iran's proxies are too strong. The PMF numbers 130 to 150,000 fighters. Groups directly answerable to Iran make up a significant portion of that force and are far and away its most powerful element. And so you might have a prime minister that meets with the United States. You might have the prime minister of Iraq that goes to Saudi Arabia and chalks up all these awesome business deals. But at the end of the day, he's powerless to bring these fighters under his control, under state control, just as we said would happen, to the point now that that Israel again is basically bombing Iraq. And the Iraqi government isn't doing anything about it. Why not? Probably because the Prime Minister is probably a little happy that the Shiites might be taken down a peg or two, these Shiite militias answering to Iran. It says here, Mahdi's immediate predecessor, Haider al-Abadi, issued his own decree in March 2018 that sought to tame the militias, subjugating them to rules and regulation governing the Iraqi army and placing them under the Prime Minister's direct authority. The result? So Abadi did this before. This is the Prime Minister earlier, before Mahdi. This is about a year ago. The Iranian-backed groups, the result of that, the Iranian-backed groups brazenly defied Abadi's order while claiming to abide by it, maintaining their primary allegiance to the IRGC, that's Iran, and milking the Iraqi state for ever greater quantities of military and financial resources, with Soleimani still effectively calling the shot, Iraq now, right now forks over more than $2 billion annually to the PMF for salaries and expenses. And so because they became part of the security forces of Iraq, but they didn't lay down their weapons, they just said, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll fight for you. Thanks for the money. They get paid $2 billion right now from Iraq's coffers, and it goes to Iranian, mainly Iranian fighters inside Iraq. Can you believe that? Iraq is now funding... Iran's terrorist network in the Middle East. It's funding its own takeover by Iran. That's the pickle that the Iraqi government is in right now. Even if they want 
more power to be uh, given to Baghdad outside of the control of the the uh, militias. They just can't do it. There's not enough power. The article continues, once the July 31st deadline passes without real consequence by Iran's proxies, as it surely will, and as it surely has, it's August 4th now, no, no, none of these none of these powers came under the control. None of these forces came under the control of the Iraqi uh, military. Once the July 31st deadline passes without real compliance by Iran's proxies, as it surely will, Iraq would be in its right to dismiss pro-Iranian militia commanders without without withhold funds from offending groups and seize militia positions and shut down their illicit checkpoints. But ex- expectations should be low. It's not going to happen. There's not enough power to do it. Then it continues further down. This is why the chances are high that this decree is much more about form than substance. Iran's proxies may go through the motions of taking on additional symbols of the state, designations, uniforms, facilities. So they might look like the Iraqi military going forward, but will jealously maintain their autonomy as independent military, political, and economic actors outside state control. They'll gladly accept the political and legal cover of being an integral part of the state and the greater access to state assets that comes with it while rejecting any true accountability to the Iraqi government. Of course, that's what they'll do. Take the money, take the weapons, take the power, and not render anything to the Iraqi state, unfortunately, if history is any guide. It's not at all clear that time has worked in favor of those seeking to oppose the IRG's entrenchment in weak Arab states using powerful Shiite militias. We know that it doesn't work. Lebanese Hezbollah is, of course, the archetype. Despite ever greater amounts of Western assistance to strengthen legitimate state institutions, in particular Lebanese army, Hezbollah's primacy in Lebanon, as Lebanon's most dominant actor, has only expanded to the great peril of Israel, Middle East, and EOS interests. So to put this in simple terms... What we've just seen just take place right now is Hezbollah take over Iraq. We're going to have another Hezbollah in Iraq that is more powerful than the state that Iran uses as a proxy in its fight against Israel. Soleimani and his Iraqi allies only appear to have grown stronger. It's not at all clear what could prevent the full Hezbollahization of Iraq at this point, but it's unlikely to be the weak uh, be the weak tea of Marty's decree. U.S. officials are facing an unpleasant reality. The facts are quite stark when laid out. The United States considers the Iraqi government to be an important security partner, providing its military with billions of dollars of support and advance equipment. But that same partner has welcomed a group of Iran-backed militias, all sworn enemies of the United States, some designated terrorist groups, and most with American blood on their hands, into the Iraqi security forces as a largely independent parallel army. And the Iraqi government now generally funds those groups through the national budget. This isn't good for Iraq. Iraq right now, doesn't have the power to overcome these these militias in its midst. They're, in fact, paying them. They're giving them arms. They're making them more and more legitimate as time goes on to the point now that Israel has basically said, I'm sorry, Iraq. I'm sorry about your sovereignty, but facts on the ground prevail, and Iran has taken over Iraq. You don't have any power to stop it, 
And so we can't afford to have Iran's ballistic missiles and other missiles inside Iraq, and so we're going to take them out. And that's what we've seen. Israel, in their strike, just this strike in the past, two strikes in the past month, they recognize that Iraq is no longer an independent state. Iraq is lost. When the United States will see that, I don't know. Obviously, the United States would have given the Israel the green light to go ahead and act like to act in this way, but it does prove the reality on the ground that Iran has taken over Iraq, and this is something that we have drawn your attention to time and time again. There is a prophecy written over in, in Daniel chapter eleven and verse forty. I just want to read this prophecy or read this verse here. It says this: and at the time of the end, so this is uh, the time of the latter days. Shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So originally these prophecies, or this chapter, was about the Ptolemaic Empire and the Seleucid Empire. You can read that in the early parts of Daniel chapter 11. And once you get to verse 40, though, it says we're at a different time now. We are end-time types of the king of the south and the king of the north. Who, then? are these modern counterparts of the King of the South and the King of the North. Now, back on uh, in October in um, 1990, our editor-in-chief wrote an article and said, King of the South is now on the world scene. Is he now on the world scene? And he identified, Mr. Flurry did, our editor-in-chief in 1990, this king uh, is a Middle Eastern bloc, he said, possibly led by Iraq's president, Saddam Hussein. So he, he recognized at the start in 1990 that it was definitely from the Middle East, possibly Saddam Hussein's. Then 1992, he told our readers that he believed Iran was this king of radical Islam. And then in 1994, when Saddam Hussein was still in power, Mr. Flurry asked, is Iraq about to fall to Iran? And then in 1998, he wrote that the stage is set for an Islamic group of nations to be led by Iran as a prophesied king of the south. Iran has a foreign policy of a lot of push. And so this king of the south here in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, we have been writing about since 1993 as being Iran, being Iran, leading a radical Islamic empire. And going back to 1994, we said that Iraq was going to fall to Iran. Saddam Hussein was in power. He's still a powerful individual. And there was a bloody war, a million people dead, civil or not a civil war, but a war between Iran and Iraq. And we said before the U.S. came and intervened in 2003 that Iraq eventually is going to fall to Iran based on the prophecy of this king of the south and the power that he's going to have and the power to push at the king of the north, which is a German-led resurgent Europe, though it doesn't look like that right now. That's the way it's going to be at least in terms of the European nations coming together in a cohesive force. That will happen. It'll happen fast, happen suddenly. But what we see with Iraq right now and Iran is this king of the south taking over, this king of the south positioning itself to push, controlling Iraqi oil. That's the next thing. Already we have Ir Iranian fighters getting money from the state of Iraq. So that'll be great. Yes, yeah, sanction Iran. Sanction them to the teeth. But are you going to sanction Iraq? United States? Others, are you going to sanction Iraq, your ally in the Middle East? You wouldn't dare. <laughs> you wouldn't dare. And yet, those funds 
that Iraq, the money that Iraq has, the government funds that Iraq has are paying for the ongoing war, Iran's ongoing war against Israel, against the United States. That's the situation we have right now. And that is what we said eventually was going to happen. If you want to go ahead and understand these prophecies, you, you really should. Something different has happened over this past month. Iraq, again, has fallen to Iran, and Israel is proving it by its direct airstrikes on Iraqi soil. If you want to understand more about those prophecies and what you're seeing on the news, please request our editor-in-chief's book, The King of the South. It'll make it all clear for you. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening to the program. Please, if you'd like to send some feedback, write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il.